In the south of France, in the 12th and 13th centuries, the great heresy of Albigensian broke up. Okay, so what on earth was Albigensianism? Hilaire Belloc explains, of course, as usual with things that I quote, there's cutting, pasting, editing, some insertions for clarity. Hilaire Belloc, quote, Let us start by considering a prime truth of the Catholic faith. The Catholic Church is rooted in the recognition of suffering and mortality and her claim to provide a solution for the problem they present. This problem is generally known as the problem of evil. How can we call a man's destiny glorious and heaven his goal and his creator all good and all powerful when we find ourselves subject to suffering and death. That's the problem of evil. How can we say God is good when we find ourselves suffering? So much suffering in the world. Death. Sooner or later, every human being who thinks it all is faced by this problem of evil. And as we watch the human race trying to think out for itself the meaning of the universe, we find it always at heart concerned with that insistent question, why should we suffer? Why should we die? Various ways of the torturing enigma have been proposed. The simplest is not to face it at all, to turn one's eyes away from suffering and death and to pretend they're not there and try to forget them as much as one can. Another way less base, but equally contemptibly, uh, contemptible intellectually, is to say there's no problem because we're all part of a meaningless dead thing with no creative God behind it to say there is no reality in right and wrong and in the conception of happiness or misery. A nobler way, the way of the great Romans and the great Greeks, is the way of Stoicism. This might be termed the philosophy of Grin and Barrett. It has at least the nobility of facing the facts, but it proposes no solution. It is utterly negative. Yet another way is the profound but despairing way of Asia, the philosophy which calls the individual an illusion, bids us get rid of the desire for immortality and to look forward to being merged in the impersonal life of the universe. What the Catholic solution is, we all know. Not that the Catholic Church has proposed a complete solution of the mystery of evil, for it has neither been the claim or the function of the Church to explain the whole nature of things but rather to save souls. But the Catholic Church has on this particular problem a very definitive answer. She says, first, that man's nature is immortal and made for happiness. Next, that mortality and pain are the result of his fall, that is, of his rebellion against the will of God. She says that since the fall, our mortal life is an ordeal or test according to our behavior in which we regain but through the merits of our Savior, that immortal happiness which we had lost. Now, the Albigensian was so overwhelmed by the experience or prospect of suffering and death that he denied the omnipotent goodness of a creator. He said that evil was at work in the universe just as much as good, that the two were principles always fighting as equals, one against another. Man was subject to the one just as much to the other. The Albigensian recognized an evil God, as well as a good God, and he attuned his mind to that appalling conception. 
Such a belief bred all kinds of secondary effects. In some men, it would lead to devil worship. In many more, to sorcery, to tricks to stave off the evil power, or to cheat it. It also led, paradoxically enough, to the doing of a great deal of evil deliberately and saying that either it could not be helped or that it didn't matter because the power of evil is quite as strong as the power for good and we might just as well act accordingly. But the one thing the Albigensian of every shade has always felt, and that is that matter belongs to the evil side of things. Matter belongs to the evil side of things. Though there may be plenty of evil of a spiritual kind, yet good is of itself wholly spiritual. Matter is subject to decay and is therefore evil. Our bodies are subject to decay and are therefore evil. Their appetites are evil. Therefore, it was the evil God that made the human body, while the good God made the soul. Now, if the human body is evil, it follows then that euthanasia or suicide are good. It also follows that any activity which might result in producing another human body is bad. Therefore, any and all non-procreative relations are better than any procreative relations. Obviously, then, it follows that marriage is bad. Logically enough, converts were encouraged to abandon their spouses. They believed in vegetarianism, although they would eat fish, and they denied the resurrection of the body. Furthermore, our Lord was only apparently clothed in a human body. He only apparently suffered. Hence also the denial of the resurrection. There's no heaven. There's no hell. Belloc continues, Anyone who will read the details of the Albigensian story will be struck over and over again by a singularly modern attitude of these heretics. And parenthetically speaking, there's a very good reason that these beliefs sound so contemporary. It's because so many of our neighbors have exactly the same misunderstandings of the meaning of suffering and death as the Albigensians did so long ago. A denial of or an ignorance of or a flat misunderstanding of any part of our faith is going to have consequences. And the more serious the mistake, the more serious the consequences. And we see that today in the problem of evil and a complete confusion or lack of understanding. Anyway, back to Belloc. Because the Catholic Church was strong at issue with an attitude of this kind, the papacy, the hierarchy, and the whole body of Catholic doctrine and established Catholic sacraments were the target of the Albigensian offensive. Close quotes. And they still are by their modern, uh, the modern followers of this uh, philosophy. So this terrible heresy of Albigensian had broken out, and in the midst of all this terrible chaos, in order to convert these heretics and subdue this heresy, God sent a great Spanish saint armed with a weapon provided by the Blessed Virgin Mary. Of course, the Spaniard was Saint Dominic. Historian, a few centuries after Saint Dominic, records how Our Lady gave Saint Dominic the weapon. Quote, we read that at the time when he was preaching to the Albigenses, Saint Dominic at first obtained but scanty success. And that one day, complaining of this in pious prayer to Our Blessed Lady, she deigned to reply to him, saying, Wonder not that you have obtained so little fruit by your labors. You have spent them on barren soil, not yet watered with the dew of divine grace. When God willed to renew the face of the earth, he began by sending down on it the fertilizing rain of the angelic salutation. The angelic salutation is just an old-fashioned title for the Hail Mary. So when God willed to renew the face of the earth, he began by sending down on it the fertilizing rain of the angelic salutation. 
Therefore, preach my Psalter, composed of 150 angelic salutations, 150 Hail Marys, and 15 Our Fathers, and you will obtain an abundant harvest. Close quote. Preach my Psalter, composed of 150 Hail Marys and 15 Our Fathers, and you will obtain an abundant harvest. Why did Our Lady call this her Psalter? Well, the whole collection of Psalms in the Bible is known as the Psalter. And just as there are 150 Psalms in the Bible, so also there are 150 Hail Marys in the Rosary, when we say all the 15 mysteries revealed by Our Lady. How did Our Lady's Psalter end up by calling a Rosary? Well, the medievals saw the Rosary as a series of spiritual bouquets laid at the foot of Our Lady. And so using figurative speech, they call it a rose garden. The Latin word for rose garden is rosarium, and so that's where we got the name rosary. Another author provides us with more details. Quote, The place of the revelation of the rosary to St. Dominic was the church of Proil, and the time was 1208, according to the tradition of the Dominican order. Pope Leo XIII affirmed over and over again the Dominican origin of the rosary, and in an 1889 letter to the Bishop of Carcassonne, Leo XIII accepts the tradition of Puyol as the place where the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to St. Dominic and revealed this devotion. This tradition, the tradition that Mary first revealed the rosary devotion to St. Dominic, is supported by 13 popes. Now, why point all this out? Because under the influence, really, of Protestantism over the past few centuries, we've gotten to the point where unless somebody has a videotape or, or, or you know, live satellite feed of an event happening, it's as if it didn't occur. Wait, we can't sign, find a signed witness piece of paper on that date. must not occur. So here we have, you know, 13 popes. That's a pretty, that, that works for me. Anyway, St. Dominic went into the villages of the heretics, gathered the people, and preached them the mysteries of salvation, the incarnation, the redemption, eternal life. As the Holy Virgin had taught him to do, he distinguished the different kinds of mysteries, and after each sort of instruction, he had ten Hail Marys recited. So he'd give them like a little fervorino or catechist or a little sermon at the beginning of every mystery so they know what they're to, to meditate on. St. Dominic found great success in this new devotion, bringing about the conversion of the Albigensians. Close quote, Robert Feeney. So in the very beginning, the rosary prayed while meditating upon the mysteries brought about the conversion of the Albigensians and a great renewal of Christian society. And although that was the first, it was certainly not the only great victory of the Rosary. Everybody here already knows about the victory, the great victory at Lepanto, that naval victory of the Catholics over the Turks, a victory which both Pope Pius V, Pope St. Pius V, and the great commander Don Juan of Austria attributed to the intercession of Our Lady. Her intercession was obtained specifically by the recitation of so many of the faithful of the Holy Rosary. This great victory, which we've talked about before, is in fact the very reason we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Rosary on October 7th, and it's the reason why the first Sunday in October is the external solemnity of the Rosary. So the devout recitation of the Rosary brought about the conversion of the Albigensians and the victory over the Turks at Lepanto. But here in our own times, there was another great victory of the Rosary, some 50 years ago in Austria. After World War II, Austria was divided into four zones by the occupying powers. So one zone was governed by the United States, one zone by England, one zone by France, and another one by the Soviet Union. The area occupied by the Soviet Union surrounded Vienna, which was also divided up in four zones, just like Berlin. It's the same kind of situation. But the Soviet Union surrounded that area, and it was the, the richest territory 
in Austria. After the war, it soon became obvious that the Soviet Union had absolutely no intention of withdrawing from Austria or East Germany, or in fact, any other territories they had occupied throughout Eastern Europe and over on the Pacific side. In February 1946, an Austrian Capuchin named Father Petrus Pavlicek made a pilgrimage to an Austrian Marian shrine to pray to Our Lady to ask her what could be done about this communist occupation. As he was praying before the image of Our Lady, he heard an inner voice tell him, quote, Do as I say, and you will have peace. Close quote. So after his pilgrimage, Father Petrus launched what he called the Crusade of Reparation of the Holy Rosary. So he traveled around Austria with a statue of Our Lady of Fatima and preached the necessity to repent from sin and to pray the rosary daily in obedience to Our Lady's message in Fatima. He asked for a tithe of Austrians, a full 10% of the Austrian people, to commit to praying the rosary daily. Wherever he traveled, his confessional was flooded with sinners. On one occasion, he heard confessions for three days straight. It's just astronomical. That in itself was a marvel, sitting in a confessional that long and, and not completely falling apart, dealing with all the sins of the world. I was reading another article where it said he went through 11 villages in Austria and heard 6,000 confessions. Just amazing, just the confessions alone. And anyway, suddenly, on May 13, 1955, that's the anniversary of the first apparition of Our Lady in Fatima, on May 13, 1955, out of apparently nowhere, the Soviet Union completely unexpectedly agreed to peacefully withdraw from Austria. In a letter written by Father Petrus in 1955, he gave full credit to Our Lady of Fatima and the recitation of the rosary by many thousands of Austrians. Indeed, he had gotten a tithe. Over 700,000 of the 7 million Austrians, or 10% of the population, had pledged to pray the daily rosary in compliance with Our Lady's wishes at Fatima. So the devout recitation of the rosary brought about a renewal of Catholic life and devotion in Austria and the peaceful withdrawal of Soviet forces from their country. The rosary is powerful, and today it has exactly the same power to renew Catholic life, to convert heretics and protect us from the enemies as it ever had. In fact, today it has even more power, as we'll see here in a minute. First, let's consider the power Our Lady's attached to the Rosary for our own personal sanctification. We've all heard these before, but today, on the external solemnity of the Feast of the Holy Rosary, let's listen some more to, once more to just a few of the 15 promises Our Lady made to those who say the Rosary, which she revealed to St. Dominic and Blessed Alain de la Roche. Promise number two. I promise my special protection and the greatest graces to all those who shall recite the rosary. Promise number three. The rosary shall be a powerful armor against hell. It will destroy vice, decrease sin, and defeat heresies. Promise number five. The soul which recommends itself to me by the recitation of the rosary shall not perish. Promise number seven. Who shall ever have, shall have a true devotion for the rosary shall not die without the sacraments of the church. 
Promise number 12. All those who propagate the Holy Rosary shall be aided by me in their necessities. And promise number 13, I have obtained from my divine Son that all the advocates of the Rosary shall have for intercessors the entire celestial court during their life and at the hour of death. Now just think about that. These are promises from Our Lady. The Rosary destroy vice, decrease sin, and defeat heresies. Whosoever will have a true devotion for the Rosary shall not die without the sacraments of the Church. The soul which recommends itself to Our Lady by the recitation of the Rosary shall not perish. Think about that. The soul that recommends itself to Our Lady by the recitation of the Rosary shall not perish. As if that isn't impressive enough, for centuries the popes have been using the strongest possible language to encourage the faithful to each pray the Rosary every day. Here are just a few selections from the popes. Leo Thirteenth. The rosary is the most excellent form of prayer and the most efficacious means of attaining eternal life. It is the remedy for all our evils, the root of all our blessings. There is no more excellent way of praying. A powerful means of renewing our courage will undoubtedly be found in the Holy Rosary. Pius XI. The rosary is a powerful weapon to put the demons to flight and to keep oneself from sin. If you desire peace in your hearts, in your homes, and in your country, assemble each evening to recite the rosary. Let not even one day pass without saying it, no matter how burdened you may be with many cares and labors. Blessed Pius IX, among all the devotions approved by the Church, none has been so favored by so many miracles as the rosary devotion. And Pope Pius XII, there's no sure means of calling down God's blessing upon the family in the daily recitation of the rosary. One last thought on this line from that great saint of the rosary, St. Louis de Montfort. If you say the rosary faithfully until death, I do assure you that in spite of the gravity of your sins, you shall receive a never-fading crown of glory. Let's close by considering a few thoughts from Sister Lucia. There are a few excerpts from her 1957 interview with uh, Father Fuentes, who at the time was a postulator for the the now blessed uh, Francisco and Jacinta Marto. Quote, Father, the Most Holy Virgin is very sad because no one has paid any attention to her message, neither the good nor the bad. The good continue on their way, but without giving any importance to her message. The bad, not seeing the punishment of God actually falling upon them, continue their life of sin without even caring about the message. Father, we should not wait for an appeal to the world to come from Rome on the part of the Holy Father to do penance. Nor shall we wait for the call to penance to come from our bishops and our dioceses, nor from religious congregations. No. Our Lord has already very often used these means, and the world has not paid attention. That is why now it is necessary for each one of us to begin to reform himself spiritually. Each person must not only save his own soul, but also help to save all the souls that God has placed in our path. Father, from now on, we must choose sides. Either we are for God or we are for the devil. There is no other possibility. Look, Father, the Most Holy Virgin has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the rosary. 
She has given this efficacy to such an extent that there is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether temporal or above all spiritual, in the personal life of each one of us, of our families, of the families of the world, or of the religious communities, or even of the life of peoples and nations that cannot be solved by the rosary. There is no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves. We will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. There is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves. We will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. Whosoever shall have a true devotion for the rosary shall not die without the sacraments of the church. The soul which recommends itself to Our Lady by the recitation of the rosary shall not perish. There is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the rosary. Pray your rosary every day. There is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the prayer of the Holy Rosary.